What's the uh, what's the strangest thing that has happened this week? Which is a big icebreaker brought to you by Mason Kramer, twitch.tv slash glitchcat7. I want to hear about the adventures of you two this week. What happened? Okay, thanks for uh, the icebreaker <laughs> brought to you by glitchcat7. Oh, did it? I think I told you, Jay, there was a... Remember I texted you a couple of days ago and I asked you if you guys were jamming because I could hear a band in my neighborhood somewhere? Yes, I remember that, Glenn. I finally discovered the mystery band in my neighborhood. It was well, FM96. So I could hear um, a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. the junkyard. I'm upstairs in my house a couple of weeks ago and I can hear music. And initially I thought it was somebody playing music really loudly somewhere. But then I, I don't know how to describe it, Jay. You know how when you hear live drums at a distance and you can just tell it's somebody actually playing drums as opposed to... Yeah, there's that weird kind of echo. Yeah, like there's it just feels a little different. So I'm like, oh, cool, there's a band jamming somewhere. But it didn't sound like it was loud enough to be right next door to me, so I figured it was just somewhere in the neighborhood, and I was actually just hearing, the, you know, the sound kind of drifting out from somewhere. Uh, I discovered last night they actually are right next door to me. There's a, there's a band like jamming in the living room of the house next door. Oh no way! Oh, that's pretty cool. They're Mystery pretty solved. Too. Five feet away. What uh, kind of music was it? Uh, it was a little of everything. So it was mostly rock stuff, but they were playing something kind of bluesy when I. Uh, I pulled into the driveway last night. You know what you got to do, buddy? Take six ginger beers over there, your guitar and amp, go, hey, hey, I, I play too. I'm your freaky here. old neighbor. Let's play music. That's pretty do you cool. Do, do you do that thing maybe like between songs where you open up your window and you start playing your guitar and it's like, I could play too. <laughs> <laughs> you you no. just position yourself enough so they can see you through the I, window. <laughs> the lame thing I was considering doing was I thought about writing a letter and like sticking it in their mailbox and being like, oh. hey. That's awful. Don't. <laughs> I'm your neighbor, and and it's cool you would you like to jam? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's just yes, no, and then they put maybe and then send it back. I need to make one of those. What are what are the things that had the four quadrants? <laughs> the wah 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 wah. Pick you a color. Red. R E D. Pick a number. Six. One, two, three, four, five, six. You want to jam? No. N O. <laughs> Welcome to another GamerCast, a spicy ginger week here with Prickridge Mouthstain. I'm your host, Rob McCallum, joined by Jay Bartlett, say hi, and Glenn Stanbrick. He's over there wainscotting away in Donaldville. I'm actually sweating. That's because you're hunched over your mic on a perch. Oh, I'm too old to be bent like this. <laughs> it is, of course, a good time to record GamerCast. Not much housekeeping. I want to thank everybody who helped support the He-Man Kickstarter that ended last week. That We smashed through our goal early on, and we never knew where it was going to kind of end up and what we could do. And we ended up tripling our goal at the literally 10 minutes left. We had a donor hit our last stretch goal, so I want to thank everybody who topped up their pledge and everybody who really helped us on the back day. I know Prickridge secured his uh, Blu-ray of Eternia. True. I did. Very nice. Even very with nice. that $16 shipping and handling fee. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to hand it to you. Don't worry about that. Is there going to be exchange on that, too? <laughs> Pocket the fee. Yes, there is. So I, I pledged $49, and I'm going to give you like 300 yeah. Ah, fantastic. Yeah. How about you just uh, toss in a little ginger sweat there, too? I'm sure the film will be worth it, so. 
Yeah. It's you, okay. Yeah. Um, I want to remind people on the Kickstarter note that the box art Kickstarter starts April 19th. That'll be pretty good. And we add new people every day. Facebook.com slash box art doc. A lot of great people announced this week and more incredible ones announced next week. Galaxy Far, Far Away, Podbean. Check it out. You guys have still got some new shows coming out. Yeah. What's next on the horizon for that, Jay? Josh and I just recorded today. And uh, it reminded me very much of when the three of us get together where we just started talking about, you know, it was like some Star Wars game from yesteryears. And he hit record. And the next thing I knew, it was we were like 55 minutes in into the episode before I even got to the outline. So we're just having an absolute blast talking about Star Wars. And uh, are you guys still working on future updates for Dash Quest, uh, Glenn? Or are you guys uh, starting development on other stuff in tandem with maintenance of the latest iteration of, of Dash Quest? Where's that sit? What's uh, going on at Tidy Titan? Give us the broad overview. When can we expect uh, more updates, new games, and how can we be involved? So demanding, Rob. The answer is yes to all of the above. There are a couple of other projects in the works, which we can't really talk about right now. Uh, as far as Dash Quest, though, yeah, we're, we're still doing updates. So we have some really, really big plans about stuff we want to do over the next several weeks. And we're working on a weekly sprint schedule right now, so we're releasing an update about once a week. And the turnover time with Apple has been substantially faster than it usually is. So normally we used to push an update for Android, and we get approval for the Apple one maybe five or six days later. And this most recent update, I think, was like a day and a half. It was an incredibly fast turnaround, so that's pretty awesome to see, too. I'm really curious at what point will I unlock the Easter egg that I get to play as a spaceship turret guy in Dash Quest or, or Happy Death Cube. There is a Dash Cube skin in Happy Cube Death Arena now. Oh, I like that. So That's you cool. Can Those are that. other games by Tiny Titan Studios. Uh, spaceship Turret Guy, really fun. I love the graphics on that game. That's super flashy and a lot of fun to play. And, of course, Happy Death Cube. I don't have the dexterity to play that. I hurt my fingers playing it. I'm Happy Cube good. is, I think, really underappreciated, actually. I'm really fond of Happy <clears throat> Happy Cube. That's funny for a guy with your demeanor. It's very fun, very addictive. Uh, once you kind of get a hang of the double jump and the smashing, you can really rack the points up, too. Like You just kind of get into a groove and... Uh, kind of hard to describe. You kind of get into the zone and you just have a really good run. So once you get a really high score, it's uh, pretty hard to go back. I like it. I also want to thank all our Patreon backers as per usual. We are in the process of finalizing the Power Tour DVD. Hopefully you've been able to respond to our request about having your name included. We basically want to hear if you don't want it included. If we don't hear from you, it's going in there. So uh, thanks again as we finalize those. And uh, everybody that is getting the DVD, you should know that you are getting a ninth episode that is exclusive to the Power Tour DVD only. The, uh, the other eight episodes, of course, will stream online and air in New Zealand on The Duke. But everybody else, if you want that ninth episode, you've got to you got to get that disc, and it's a, it features a lot of material that we didn't have time to showcase in the other episodes and some really cool stuff involving people that we know. So definitely check that out. So, It's in fact so exclusive that I don't even know what's in that ninth episode. I have no idea. It's a mystery to me, too. There's something going on in a couple of months, isn't there, with, with the three of us? There may be something... In the works, we've got to hash out the details, and it's only possible because of Patreon backers, who, of course, will get an exclusive copy of it or 
copies of what we are doing, uh, digitally at least. I don't know if that will ever make physical because of the cost associated with that. But we are investing some of the Patreon funds for something kind of fun, so stay tuned for that. And because of Patreon support, we are doing the Twitch screening of Nintendo Quest. So twitch.tv slash glitchcat7 on Sunday, April 24th. There will be three screenings, 12, 2, and 4 Eastern Time to hear from Jay and myself and whoever else from the cast and crew is around to chime in. We're all going to tell you what we think about the experience. And if you have questions for us, keep firing away. Let's uh, let's get to the goods today, guys. What do we got? Oh, I should say, there are some people that have been quite confused, Mr. Stanbuck. And you and I really didn't do a massive job promoting this or thinking this out. And I said, Glenn, wouldn't it be cool? If we put a Patreon version of our episode up for free so people know what they're getting? Yes. Yes, you did. And we've put two up. We, we put have. one in February and one in January. And we have, of course, given our Patreon backers something additional. But people are like, uh, I think you guys put up the wrong episode. This, well, I got the Patreon version, and this is awesome. Yes, it is awesome. That's kind of and the if, idea, folks. <laughs> and if you want the Patreon stuff, just pledge a buck. Patreon.com slash GamerCast. Those are yeah. definitely up there on purpose. Rob so. had uh, Rob had the brainwave that in order to maybe help people get a sense of what they're missing, it might be nice to actually just let them listen to what they're missing. And uh, Right. So we've done that a couple of times, and we're glad to hear that some people are digging what they're hearing. So you can get that kind of stuff every week for as little as a buck by kicking into the GamerCast Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash GamerCast. And you can also help fund cool new creator projects like the one that we're mysteriously dancing around right now. I want to talk about it. I can see there's, it in his eyes. He wants to talk about it. There's some new details that we internally have to discuss before we talk about it. So there, I'm, I'm cautiously tap dancing around the subject now. Road trip. Going on a road trip. Rob, you brought something up in GamerCast chat this week. So we've referred to this before, but we have a Facebook chat for the three of us where we kind of throw GamerCast news back and forth. And if we need to talk to each other about the podcast or Nintendo Quest stuff, we do that there. Sometimes we talk about episode ideas. And you'd broached the topic of esports and game broadcasting and really what the role of retro games is in relation to that stuff. And I thought that was really, really interesting. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how retro games work in the current environment of game streaming and esports, what the relevance is and, and how they continue, continue to be relevant or what the challenges they're facing as the audiences for both of those things start to expand and continue to expand because they're obviously a huge business right now. I like it. Well, the first thing I'm going to ask you is when you think about esports broadcasts or when you think about Twitch streaming, do you guys think that there's an element of showing your audience something new that comes into play? Yes. By by virtue of the immediacy of, that streaming does, the fact that it's live and happening right away, assuming it's not like a, an archived rebroadcast, it is new. Even if it's someone going through an old level, uh, someone that we had seen play before, the fact that it's happening right now makes it new. Yeah, the way people play it. Um, I'm very fond of the Ocarina of Time speedruns on Twitch. I follow a couple couple dudes that do it uh, a couple times a week. And the way they cut through, 
they use the glitches to you know beat Ocarina in like eight minutes or something crazy like that, and they just show you different ways to play. Like this, this one guy will turn around and jump backwards as Link the whole way because it's like a fraction of a second quicker than running forwards. Just things like that that I never would have thought of. I remember watching a Majora's speedrun where the guy did that. He would, he basically backflipped the entire time. Yeah, he's just watching the dot on the map. It's insane. Like he's not even looking at the main screen for moving around. Part of what I was getting at when I asked that question, guys, is I don't know if this is a mystery to anybody or not, but newer games tend to really dominate the most viewed things on Twitch. So your top 20 games from month to month on Twitch in terms of your broadcasts tend to either be new games or they tend to be games that are relatively new or have maybe had updates or content added to them recently. So good example is uh, Warlords of Draenor. World of Warcraft continuously makes that list, but it's because they continue to add content and have patches and, and updates come out for it. Why do you think that Twitch streams for newer games or newer titles do so well? What What is the appeal there? Like, why do those things seem to not have trouble drawing an audience? It's a great way to preview a game that you're maybe on the fence about, and you're just watching a regular guy play through it. So if it's not a world record attempt you get to see pretty much from the press start on how the game is played. Yeah, I'd concur with that. Uh, whether it's just to, you know, kind of gauge your own financial investment in something or to maybe just check out a game that you really don't want to buy at all, but you want to know a little bit more about it. So I'm actually curious to watch some people play some Street Fighter V. I'll probably never, ever buy the game. But maybe if I watch enough Twitch and, and I see the culture behind it and the people, I might get interested in it. But it's kind of cool to still learn about it and see what other games are out there and maybe expand your horizons, get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I, I've definitely found that I use Twitch as a way to demo things that I'm interested in, in picking up. So I don't remember if I've talked on the podcast before about a game called uh, Darkest Dungeon. Uh, it just came out on Steam from, from a developer called Red Hook. I don't think I recall that. It's it's like a turn-based roguelike that has somewhat Lovecraftian themes, but you have a party of uh, four heroes. And you're trying to reclaim this estate that you've had left to you, but you realize that the reason the estate's abandoned is because, you know, your family unleashed some horrible evil kind of underneath the mansion, so you have to kind of clear the areas out around it of monsters. There's a central hub town where you recruit your heroes and you can train them. But there's a big element of uh, your hero's kind of mental well-being plays a really, really big role in the game. So they'll have a stress level, and as you encounter monsters, their stress level goes up. And when their stress level gets to a certain point, they start behaving in really weird ways. Like they'll develop a negative personality quirk that'll affect the way that they that they play from there on out. Or you'll have guys, uh, uh, your party order has a big effect on how the game plays. So you've got a guy at the back, you have two people in the middle, you have somebody at the front. Certain attacks will only work if your character's in a certain position. But if their stress level's too high, then somebody who's at the back might just automatically decide they want to move to to the front. Because Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and so it, it looks really, really interesting to me, and it's apparently very, very challenging, really, really hard. But I've been finding myself just devouring streams of that game. Because I love the way it looks and the idea is really intriguing to me. And I haven't committed to buying it yet, but I love watching people play it. Yeah, for me also, on that note, Twitch has taken over. Like, I don't have cable anymore. So if I just feel like sitting there and being a vegetable, I'll put on Twitch. And just, I know it sounds stupid that 
you watch someone play a game, but yeah, I'll put on a game like that I don't know anything about and just sit there and watch it for, you know, five, ten minutes. It doesn't sound stupid at all. It's big business now, and I do the same thing. We'll try and find something to watch on Netflix, and if that doesn't catch our interest or if we're looking to kill time for maybe a shorter period of time, Twitch will go on, and uh, we'll find a stream or one of the people we follow and kind of see what's up with them, and that's been a very frequent occurrence in my house recently. So to give you guys some sense... Um, I was looking at the top five games that were broadcast on Twitch last year, and at least in the fourth quarter of last year, five games made made up 61% of the content on Twitch. So th- these five games accounted for 61% of what people were broadcasting. Can I take a guess? I would think it would be great if you guys took a guess. So okay. try, and, try sure. and guess what one of those five games... Rob, you, you do one, then I'll do one. Uh, Dark Souls? Incorrect. Counter Strike. Be more specific. Source. No. Dang. Rob. Call of Duty. Also no. What? Seriously? <laughs> these are your top five, bear in mind, right? That's not to say that none of those games oh. do well, but these are your top five. League of Legends. League of Legends is number one. Hearthstone. Legal or uh, Hearthstone <laughs> League of Stones. League of Stones. Hearthstone's number three. Oh, so Dota is number two then. Correct. Okay. Go, you go. That's three of five. Yep, it's not bad. Bad. Uh, my goodness. No. Maybe a hint. I mentioned it already. Red Hook Dungeon Crawler, Dirty <laughs> Town. No. <laughs> Number four is Warlords of Draenor. Okay. World of Warcraft. Oh, okay. Number five, you were in the wheelhouse, Jay. You didn't quite have it right though. Uh, counter. Uh, whatever the newest Counter Strike is. Global Operations. Oh, okay. So it's Counter Strike. Or CSGO, as it's lovingly referred ah, to. Cool. Those five games. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean Monopoly or Scrabble? My contribution to, to streaming those board games, the Hasbro Collection? Believe it or didn't not. Didn't rank up in the top 61%. Did not crack Weird. the top five. Weird. What? 61% of what was broadcast on Twitch in the last three months of last year was those five games. Five games. Wow. The only retro-themed game that cracked the top 20 with any regularity... Can you guys guess what it was? I'm um, guessing it's probably NES Remix. You are incorrect. I'm going to guess and say Smash Brothers. Also incorrect. Mario Maker? You got it. Huh. So the only game that even had a retro theme that was in the top 20 was Super Mario Maker. What percentage was that at? Uh, I didn't get a percentage on that one, but it, it is consistently in the top 20, and it has been since it was released. So that's what our good buddy Mason streams. He does... Uh... A lot of Twitch play on, on Mario Maker exclusively. We're going to get to this in a bit, but I actually okay. spoke to Mason about his decision to stream Mario Maker today, and I have some thoughts on this subject from him as well. Okay. So what that makes me want to ask, guys, are this is kind of the, the bigger theme of the episode, but do you guys think that retro games are relevant in the Twitch age? And how do you think that streamers can make retro games more relevant or, or streams about retro games more unique. Yeah, I absolutely do. I think, you know, stuff that the pros do, like the speed runs, like Mason does the point pressing, um, just different ways that these guys look at video games. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a skill I've always said I've wanted, the way they dissect it and play games differently than they're supposed to be played. So I think it's cool to watch a guy pop in Mega Man 2 and just destroy it in 10 minutes. I think uh, four of the top five titles that you mentioned all have big cash money prize tournaments 
involved with them, which is probably why they're four of the top five and people are playing them because there's a chance to get some notoriety, to be a part of a team, to get a cash prize. So in order for Retro to take the limelight, I think it takes stuff like what Nintendo did last year with NWC by putting those old school titles in a tournament form where it's rewarded and there's interest. So for me, I think if retros are going to retro titles are going to take the the a place in those in that top five, regardless of console or or publisher. I think there has to be an organization set around pushing them back into the main light, like an organized esports team or tournament with a cash prize. I think League of Legends is obviously a fantastic title, but the game is absolutely free. So anybody can play League of Legends right now and then go on Twitch, and it's all free. So I think that also, same with Dota. So I think that's also one reason, too, it's so huge. I think it's commonly known as a best practice with Twitch that you generally want to try and stream the kind of stuff that people are watching, right? It's it's important to try and build an audience by getting people watching games that they're looking to watch anyway. And that's why there tends to be a real big focus on new games. When new games are released, they tend to be really, really hot. And there are some games that are able to maintain that because of the quality of the streamers themselves, like Destiny, for example, still in the top 20 quite consistently. And it's because there are so many well-known, really popular Destiny streamers out there. Uh, King Gathalion comes to mind, uh, Professor Broman, uh, some of these guys who Bungie's actually brought into their own promotion of, of things like expansion packs and patches. Uh, and that's because they have such a, a built-in audience on Twitch. But uh, you mentioned, Jay, most of your really big retro uh, streamers tend to be guys who do speedruns. Yeah. Or they do challenges. So, you know, you'll, you, you see those guys who do, like, blind runs of you know, Ocarina or whatever, where they blindfold themselves and they play through the game. Or you have a gimmick like uh, Twitch plays Pokemon is a great example of somebody using Twitch as a platform to drive attention to a specific retro game and do something really, really unique with it. Uh, But I think that's where, I think that's really what it comes down to is for somebody to really drive attention to those retro games, it's not enough to just go, hey, remember this? You have to do something unique or something something kind of special with it once you've got it there and you've got your audience you're gonna see it come out really soon i i it doesn't feel like it's there i mean we've talked about how ultimately retro games and even retro game collecting is is a very niche thing and a large scope of where dollars come from in the video game industry i mean mobile is destroying everything right but with stuff like uh, Rise of the Esports Hero going to broadcast actually on the duke alongside nintendo quest power tour uh, and TBS funding stuff and Warner Brothers uh, funding other esports competitions, it's only natural that you're going to see someone want to dip back into the nostalgic games that have set the stage for all these contemporary landmark titles. So I don't think it's going to be far off before, and I, I would love to do a retro competition tournament like involving like ice hockey and Blades of Steel, you know, or NHL 94. You know, thirty years later, kind of deal. I think that would be bla- that would be a blast. I think one of the cooler things I saw last week is uh, Mason took part in a blind, yeah, the uh, race. Kaiser run um, yeah, with some Kaiser other well known uh, Super Mario Maker streamers. So nobody knew the level going into it. Nobody had a chance to play it, and they all just kind of did a Twitch race across different channels. Now, ironically, Mason was the last to finish, I believe it. But when he finished it, he had the best time. Hmm. So I know he was disappointed. He he didn't necessarily think he would win, but he didn't think he'd be like dead last. Like he was, I guess, ninety minutes or something, and everybody had finished maybe you know forty five minutes into it. But when he finished, 
the ironic part was that he had the best time on it, right? So he didn't win the race because it's first to finish regardless of how long it takes the, the specific run. But I think that's still very interesting. Now, we touched on this a little bit already. But with a successful retro stream, how much do you guys think it has to do with the game, and how much do you think it has to do with the streamer themselves? 50-50 for me. Yeah, and that's just, I would say the same. And that's just by watching Mason's stuff. Like, Mason will play a level for, like, 12 hours, right? And so he'll get stuck on the same thing for, like, maybe an hour. And the, and the whole level is only, like, maybe a minute long. But he can get stuck on one obstacle for like an hour just trying to get past the next part because it's that hard. So when that's happening over and over and over and over again, the newness of that part wears out. So it's got to be the streamer that pulls you through with with, with some sort of entertainment value, whether that's uh, you know interactivity with the chat or just natural charisma or just the way they're handling it. There's got to be something above and beyond the game. And usually it's the personality of the people involved, which is something that we've talked about too with the stuff that we do, especially the power tour. Like anybody can go and buy games and put a video online. We see it all the time. But, you know, I think there's something to the way that we like to do things, which is one of the reasons we're on the Duke. Initially for me, I tune in to see the game. Um, but over the years I've come to specifically tune in and get notifications when certain guys are streaming like Enop is my favorite he always does the Majora's Mask speedruns in actually I believe he still holds the world record for uh, fastest completion and then 100% completion getting all the bottles all the heart containers all that stuff so um, initially at first for me it's the game do you guys think that the community is more important when it comes to the retro stuff specifically that maybe it is for the newer releases or, or the more recent titles? I can relate this to the He-Man Kickstarter. I think that when it comes to retro communities, they're the ones that keep the love for it going strong during the, the down spell. So for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, there hasn't been a new cartoon or a new movie since the 2002 show that had a very short 39-episode lifespan. The, yeah, there are collector toys, and yeah, there are some comic books out there right now, but it's not the same, so it's up to the fan base to carry that love forward. I mean, I'm sure you guys get the same posts that I do. How come we can't see more, you know, retro releases or, you know, just why is the Mega Man Legacy Collection, you know, not on disc? And now it's on disc. Well, it's not good. It's twice as much as the, you know, the digital. So it's it's up to the retro community to push it forward. Otherwise, it'll be kind of forgotten, I think. I don't understand why there's this divide. I mean, this is going to get into something different, but why is our retro community and then a current-gen community? Why, For me personally, I just love games. It doesn't matter to me if it's made today or made 20 years ago. Oh, but I think that you're wrong when you say that, Jay, because I think you prefer retro games because they're physical when so many games nowadays are digital and you don't want to play them. Backing up Rob's point is Darkest Dungeon, that game that I was talking about earlier... Only available on Steam. There's no physical release of it. Okay, so, right. Usually, 99%, that's the way I am. And we've been talking about, I've been nonstop talking about a little game called Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes that's only digital. And that, you know, if I had known or got into it as much, as much as I did last year when it came out, that would have been my game of the year, hands down. And it kills me that I can't have a physical copy of the game. But I still I absolutely love it, and there's nothing else right now I'd rather be playing. How would you have a physical copy of a game you play on your phone? I mean, Could if be a port? no, if they brought it to a console, that game uh, you could charge eighty bucks for. 
So, Jay, with that as an example, because a couple episodes, you know, you rightfully made a bunch of points about how it's hard to get into stuff that you can't hold and you don't necessarily like a lot of the new releases that you do see on the shelves every day. Does that further want to push you into, you know, experimenting and, and yeah, trying but, out some more digital games, especially like yeah. freemium games like this? Yeah, ultimately, my fear is that because I don't have it in a physical form, it will s- somewhere down the road be lost forever. Whether it's on on an old iDevice that doesn't work anymore, and for some reason it's off the servers, that's always my my fear. So again, investing in that is very difficult for me to do. Well, let me blow your mind right now. One of the things that we talked about with James Portnow and uh, Sid Bolton, there doesn't exist the technology anymore to pull some old games off their floppy disks and preserve them. What you can, did, you can't do that or you can you you cannot do that because some of the games that were coded no longer work in current day oh, coding wow. and there's no drives that will support the reading of which into the software that has progressed so far today. I was going to say too. When's the last time you saw a computer with a three and a half inch floppy in it? Yeah, or a five and a quarter. Crazy. I guess I'm just trying to blanket as like you know, let's all just love each other like music, right? It's like rock and roll. I don't. Say you know, seventies rock, eighties rock. It's all just, just rock. So my 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 point to that is, and yeah, we we all should just love music for whatever music we love. But it's important to have that music around. So yeah, we can't love the physical form and then and then also shun the stuff that we don't like because that'll get lost as well unless we take archival procedures to you know safeguard that as well. So even in the physical stuff, it can disappear just like the digital stuff. Well, then, see, that responsibility is on the owner of the physical artifact. So that that I don't worry so much about. Does that make sense? If I own the games, it's my responsibility to take care of the games. And yeah, but if your Xbox dies and you have all the Xbox games on the shelf and you can't find an Xbox anywhere, you, then how is that you, your responsibility? You will be able to find an Xbox. You no, will. no way. No, never. Not an Xbox One or the first Xbox. Those are impossible to find. Yeah, I I just found three under the steps while you were saying that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I found one in my refrigerator drawer by the hose I drank from. Refrigerator door, yeah. Guys, we're going to talk about what retro games are well equipped to do when it comes to uh, tournaments, when it comes to esports, when it comes to Twitch streams. What do you guys see as being the legitimate challenges for retro games in terms of pulling? you know, sort of a global audience as far as entertaining people with streams, entertaining people through your sports tournaments. What are the legitimate challenges that face retro games? For for me personally, I would say current gen gamers, like the younger gamers, would say graphics. They look at something like, you know, Mega Man, the original, and just be like, ugh. You know, it's like a cartoon, but like a really badly drawn cartoon. So I can see this new generation being all about the graphics and not wanting to watch something as primitive looking as say, you know, space invaders. I would say uh, finding the relevance in it for the broad, you know, populace. Why is it relevant that I'm watching Mega Man or Mario, the originals instead of the new stuff? So there would have to be an effort to make it noteworthy above and beyond the legacy. But you asked what retro games also do well. And that's that there's an existing legacy for each of them which also complicates the situation that they are known so well. So you have to have the wizards really competing in them because they have been around to study for years and years and years. I was going to ask if you thought familiarity was an issue 
Like, it's, is it just that people have it's seen it It's a blessing before? and a curse. So, like, it's people have seen them, so, like, what is new about it? But at the same time, everybody has played them, so there's that instant level of communication. Like, when you watch Mason play Mario 3, you know the levels he's playing, but you have no idea what he's going to do within those levels to get as many points as he's going to get. That's when it becomes about, like, awe and wonderment. So, Jay, Rob already touched on this a bit with his answer, but... What do you think are the things that retro games do well to entertain a mass audience that way? If you're talking about something like broadcasting on Twitch, um, I think the difficulty level of most retro games is a lot higher than current games. Now, I might get shot for this, but that's just what I think. I think popping in an NES game um, or something you know, on the Atari 2600 is just... A lot more difficult and grueling, and, and I'm not. I'm, the... I'm not talking about PvP. I'm not talking about Counter Strike facing other guys. I'm talking about you against the AI. You take, you know, the new Batman game. Yeah, sure, it looks great, but you pop it in and you're done in like a half an hour. There's like no replay value whatsoever. I always wanted to talk to John about that. What Arkham game is half hour, John? You tell me that, John. Yeah. He loves it He's when they call good. him Big Papa. <laughs> Big Papa beats it in thirty minutes. What styles of retro games do you guys think are best suited to modern game streams or esports competition, and why? Those are two different questions. Which which retro games appeal to to streams, and which ones are good for esports competition? Then give me your separate answers. I enjoy watching the side scrollers, like the Mario speedruns. Um, a little bit newer retro, if that's a thing. I love watching the huge quest games like Zelda because of the complexity of the games and the amount of brain power it takes to go through and collect everything and have every single move you make count. I think uh, the platformers are fun to watch in terms of speedruns because there are so many little things that you have to do in a, in, perfect all along the way. It, the the difficulty compiles because you're trying to execute so many small things together versus you have to do so many small things together in order to get the final result versus maybe something like something like Orcarina where yeah the rolling backwards does help the overall thing but you don't know how well you've done until you've really got to the end unless you're keeping track of you know your different checkpoints and stuff like that i think competition games games that are you know player versus player or player versus uh, ai like a sports game like ice hockey right that'll always be fun to watch because you never every game will always play differently within that sandbox construct of how the game plays out uh, i dig it i always wanted to see rob and i think you and i should do this i always wanted to see two dudes play pong that were like really 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 good at it and just see the very basics of video games, the very beginning, the most basic concept, you know, shoot the ball in the hole or whatever Pong is, you know, get it past the other guy. It's so basic, but I always wanted to see that. That's one of the things I mentioned in, when I threw the, the topic past Glenn about, you know, is there room in esports for retro titles? You know, let alone the NES in the 16-bit era, but like, what about Pong? Could you have a Pong tournament and stream it on Twitch and get viewership. Do you remember there was a long time ago um, when you and um, Mike did that uh, play Rogue Squadron for 24 hours film that you made? Uh, I was actually talking to, to Mike about that a few years back, and we were going to do a 24-hour Pong thing. Just have Pong going for 24 hours, 
and just have, I think it was Will at the time, the three of us just switch in and out, whoever one would stay in and so on, do that for 24 hours. I love it's that. It's intense, game, man. man. It's intense. Uh, we actually did 12 hours with Rogue Squadron, and then our good buddy John Zick and I did 12 hours for uh, Mario Golf on the GameCube. Ironically, infamously, the, the night of the blackout in 2003 on the Eastern Seaboard, we tried to put our marathon on that day, and of course the blackout interrupted, if you guys remember that. So uh, marathon gaming over and over and over again is kind of fascinating from a psychological perspective. You can go into the depths of madness if you're not too careful. What? You mean like go way far down the rabbit hole? Maybe not way come back? Way down the rabbit hole. <laughs> right. I know the first thing I thought about with retro games and competitive gaming uh, was fighting games. Uh, because... Oh. For one, it's really, really easy to build a tournament around one. Secondly, if you're watching, as an audience member, if I'm watching a fighting game, is this chocolate? it's really, really easy to communicate what's going on, right? You've got you've got one person fighting somebody else, and while you may have really, really deep techniques or, or complex moves being done, you can still get across what's happening. It's still, it's still one person fighting another person, and it's really, really easy to communicate, and I, I can understand that very easily. You've got all these very memorable characters. So even if I don't know the people playing the game, and I don't necessarily have an investment in either of the people playing the game, you can still latch onto those characters here and there and, and still kind of feel like you're pulling for somebody. And yeah. I think those are some of the things that make them really, really well-suited and really naturally suited to that sort of um, style of entertainment, I guess. Have you ever watched a Street Fighter tournament, either of you guys? No. Oh, which is weird because I was actually thinking about getting Evo tickets since it's in Vegas every year. Oh man, I haven't, but I remember the Smash tournament from E3 a couple of years ago, and I did watch a lot of that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's intense too. Um, the Street Fighter ones, you know, the dudes bring their own fight sticks and all that. Absolutely intense. Like the the guys in the tournaments come down the aisle like they have like it's almost like res- wrestling intros. Yeah, it's like like boxers coming in. Yeah, there, yeah. it's insane man and just to see what their hands are doing and they count frames which i understand what that is but i don't know how to do that (laughs) they count frames and that's how they you know counter and block everything it's just absolutely intense the uh the uh i think it's the korean starcraft tournaments too when i was doing research for the topic i found an article that red bull had posted and red bull obviously sponsors a lot of esports tournaments and a lot of competitive gaming tournaments it was on five retro games that still get played in tournaments today that are still really, really big business for tournaments. Let's take a trip down memory lane and see if we can guess what those five games are. You're going to make him go up there, aren't you? Okay. Um, I'll go first. Bear in mind when I say retro, it doesn't necessarily mean like... Before 2000? Ancient retro, yeah. So like PS2 down or even uh, it's, it's pretty broad. I just don't want you to necessarily think it means it's all eight bit or 16 bits. Okay. I'm going to say, and I'll just throw the franchise out there instead of a specific sure. um, game. Grand Theft Auto. Not on that list. No. Okay. Marvel vs. Capcom. Uh, close, but no. Capcom vs. SNK. Also close, but no. Marvel versus Marvel. <laughs> Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Ha <laughs> uh, There's another one we just mentioned very, very 
recently. Mortal Kombat? Uh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Not a fighting game. Call of Duty. Uh, big in Korea. Goldeneye, <laughs> Perfect Dark. <laughs> big in Korea. StarCraft? Yes. <laughs> oh, see, he said that. I didn't even catch on at the hint. <laughs> it's like Big in Korea. I'm like, yeah. Uh, big in Korea? Yep. Next. <laughs> yes, have some. How many we left? That's, uh, that's two of five. Oh, 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 it's my go. Um, give me a clue. I forgot what we're guessing. What are we guessing? Give me a clue. Retro Treehouse? These are five retro games that are still really, really big in tournaments that Red Bull kind of called out in this article I read. Gotcha. Okay. Give me a clue. Um, we've also talked about this one already, too. I watched the NHL, tournament. NHL 94. No. Oh, Smash. Yeah, Smash Melee specifically. Um, one of these you have already mentioned way back at the top of the show. Hang on, let me Shooter. Call of Duty. Source? Counter-Strike? Uh, Counter-Strike, but not Counter-Strike Source. Oh, okay. Original build of Counter-Strike. Okay. There is one 16-bit game on here. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's there's one other 16-bit game on here, because I guess Turbo is too. And you might be surprised at what it is. Super Mario Kart. For Super? Yeah. Wow. Why that one? I, well, this is, a, this is why I wanted to bring this up. Take huh. those five games as examples and tell me why you think that those games are still relevant in a tournament sense. Well, for I mean, Mario Kart was the first of its kind. However, 64 blew it away, and I still think 64 is the best one. So I don't know that that one would be. I don't know. You guys might disagree, but for Mario Kart, I don't know. I think the the DS one is better, the one that came out after 64, just because it has the throwback tracks in it. Yeah. I think it just plays well, and the and the new ones are designed. But probably, like in Mario Kart's case, and probably Turbo as well, they just kind of represent the pinnacle of that franchise. This is a discussion I had with Thor about Tetris, like why the NES version of the Tetris. There's just enough that it gets right across the board compared to other iterations that universally amongst the community it's voted as the most purest most competitive but maybe not necessarily the best so for mario kart maybe it's the tracks and the the character balance and uh i think the battle mode in super is very very important as well that's true yeah that's very true but as far as street fighter turbo goes the the gameplay is second to none it's so damn tight that game so that will do it for another edition of GamerCast. We are your three hombres, if you will. Southwest Stanbuck, Ballantine, Bartlett, and Riggs, the Macaloo. Guys, it's been a pleasure. It has. See you next week. Jay? I feel it again. The call to the light. The call to the ginger. And Stannis Buck, Wayneville, Saucy Throat, Ginger Mouth. No comment. All right, we'll see you next time, guys.